Hello and welcome to this episode of the Star Wars Universe Podcast. Today we're continuing our watch of the Clone Wars television show with Season 4, Episodes 13 through 17. We're learning more about the Separatists and some of their different perspectives. We're finding out that Anakin still has some anger about the Slavers. And we're getting to watch Ahsoka's first kiss. Sort of. All that and more after commercial break we have no control over. Welcome back. My name is Matthew. I'm your host. As always for The Clone Wars, I'm joined by the great team of Riki and Sarah Hayashi. How are you folks doing tonight? Fantastic. Yeah. This is a good set of episodes. Yeah, yeah. I, I really enjoyed these. I really enjoyed these. What what uh, what made you uh, happy to about these and w- wanted to dive in? Well, uh, I don't know. I just like the Mandalorian stuff a lot. Mm-hmm. And I, I believe this is the first appearance of Bo-Katan. Yes, yeah, I looked it up. It is, and it's it's funny. We never hear her name. We never see her face, co- uh, her helmet come off. No, but yes, it is. If you recognize Kitty Sackhoff's voice, that's it's definitely Bo Katan for the first yeah. time. Yeah, and the fact that they cast someone as prominent as her, I mean, she was in the middle of Battlestar Galactica or coming off it at the time. So I think that's right. She yeah. was pretty big. Um, clearly, they knew they were going somewhere with this character. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, and we'll, um, for those who haven't seen these, we'll do a quick plot summary in a few moments. But just in terms of things I really loved, I we get Bo-Katan, we get a lot more of the Death Watch, uh, the group of Mandalorians. and that's uh, There's a lot in here that I think is really relevant for what we're going to be talking about for the whole rest of the year, leading up to the new TV shows we're getting at the end of the year. Um, we also just, I liked I liked getting to see more of a, the Separatists. You know, we spend a lot of time with these... Uh, what, what's their? I had them written down. What's the name of their race? Zygerians. Yeah, the Zygerians, who are they're slavers. Um, they kind of buy and sell the slaves that that go to people like Tawato on Tatooine, and so we see that Anakin definitely has a lot of anger about them. Um, we see Obi Wan get captured, and sort of what's that like? And I think Obi Wan take the closest turn to the dark side that I've seen him take, which we'll get to. Um, and then at the end, we get this really sweet episode of. You know, Ahsoka running around the galaxy with the boy she met uh, at a separate conference a while ago. And I, I just loved everything about these episodes. Yeah, I think we've always sort of mentioned how the Separatists seem ill-defined. And this, I don't think it did anything more for, like, defining what the Separatists stand for. But it, it did a lot in the ways of, like, showing the Separatists was more than just a fleet of battle droids. Mm-hmm, for sure. Any episode without a Roger Roger is always a win in my book. Did we not get a Roger Roger at all? I don't think we did. Oh, nice. Even the battle droids there were the slightly different models. They're not mm. the the ones with the long snout. They're the ones with kind of the rounder heads. Yeah, they have like the force field generator and the shoot the gun thing. Yeah. So let's give a kind of summary. Uh, let's first talk about this uh, trio of episodes. And uh, let me try and summarize what happens and you all can jump in. So we first find out about this planet called Kiros. And Kiros is... It's not the homeworld of Ahsoka, but it's, I guess, a, uh, a planet that's been colonized by her people, the Tagruda. Um, and they're very much a peaceful planet. They don't want to be part of the war. They love art and peace and music. And so, of course, the war comes to them. And we get some of the same dynamics we've seen before about, you know, the Republic saying, the Dooku saying, like, we're going to capture this world. We're going to conquer this world for your own good. And then the Republic saying, you can't stay neutral. You have to fight with us. Um, and so there's a battle on that planet, uh, but it ends with them realizing that the Zagruda are behind a lot more of the slaving that's going on in the universe, the galaxy, and Anakin, especially Anakin obviously has very strong feelings about, uh, the slavers, but Obi-Wan also agrees, the whole Jedi, they want to get more involved, and so they, um, uh, a couple of them go undercover on the, uh, on Zygeria to try and, you know, infiltrate, figure out what's going on. Eventually, Rex and Obi-Wan become prisoners, and there's a whole bunch of stuff that happens there, including them, the Zygerians realizing that the best way to kind of keep Obi-Wan in control is to say to him that if he disobeys, they'll hurt other people, or they'll kill other people. Um, and him kind of realizing, like, he can fight his way free, but is it worth it if other people get hurt? Uh, meanwhile, Anakin has kind of had this, like, flirtation first he's hiding then the the, uh he's flirting with the queen she realizes who he is they go back and forth fighting flirting fighting flirting and 
eventually she puts him in the situation of saying that she'll only let his friends go free if if he swears allegiance to her and stays. And so there's that conflict for a while, and eventually the Jedi all come in to to rescue the situation. Fight, 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 pew, pew, pew. Uh, the Zygerians try to kill everybody as sort of a, like, you know, scorched earth. We're going to kill all the prisoners. Uh, and through daring rescue of Plo Koon and the Wolf Pack and some other great things, everyone's rescued and they live happily ever after. Did I, did I capture the main part of the story? So the main thrust, yeah. <laughs> Obi-Wan gets beaten up real bad multiple mm-hmm. times. Yeah, so let's go into th- let's go into the story. What'd you think of the the story arc we got here? I didn't like this one as much. I, I wish the it had been flipped, like three episodes of Mandalorian stuff and one of mm-hmm. those. But it's fine, and I think it's important for the character development of Anakin to go right. through this for us to see again uh, his hatred of slavery because of his upbringing and his mother, and of course, like see more of his journey down the dark side yeah no we definitely see that and i i think one of my favorite moments is we see him just getting incredibly angry at the slaver and really berating one and and ready to torture if not even kill one and ahsoka is there to kind of step in and and she doesn't even say much she just kind of says that quiet but slightly admonishing voice master which is what she always calls him and i feel like that one moment says so much about their relationship in Mm. terms of that she does trust him, but she, even she's starting to see that he's going in this dangerous direction and that, that it scares her. Do you think he would have responded the same if she had said Sky Guy? <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. Um, and, and here's actually a question. I, I wonder if it's that... I feel like you could read that scene two ways. One is she really looks up to him. She does see him as her master. And she... In some way, her saying that reminds him that he is responsible for her, and that helps push her back. Or she knows the way his ego works, and that the only way to sort of pull him back is to flatter his ego a bit and and make him feel like he's responsible for her. And so she's being a little manipulative. I I think it's mostly column A, but with a little bit of column B. I think, I mean, she's just genuinely shocked about what he's about. Like, So he's got a lightsaber to... It's Dart Dinar, who's the Zargarian slaver. Um, Anakin's got a lightsaber to his throat, like, turned off, finger on the button, ready to, like, ignite it into his neck when she's, like, uh, master. So I think it's mm-hmm. just, like, genuine, what the heck are you about to do? Because, um, like, it's a, it's a, it's not exactly a prolonged moment, right? I don't think she's spending a lot of time thinking about you know the the machinations necessary to sort of manipulate Anakin I think she's just genuinely surprised Mm -hmm. yeah I'm probably being a little bit too cynical with that but I think that's probably true (laughs) sure I mean like that could be like why it works right but Mm -hmm. for sure for sure yeah even the way that like the tenacity that Anakin goes after Denar so this is like near the end of the first episode Obi-Wan has, like, just taken a beating from this guy, basically stalling for time, while Anakin and Ahsoka go and defuse bombs that have been set up around the planet. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, Obi-Wan is just getting beat up by this guy. Eventually, they defuse the bombs. A droid lets him know that they've all been defused. He's pissed off and tries to run away. And Anakin and Ahsoka just, like, ride their little chicken walkers <laughs> towards his... Like, already taken off spacecraft and, like, Jedi jump through the air to land on it. And Anakin, like, stabs the wing with his lightsaber. And it's like, you're you're on this ship right now. I feel like you don't. <laughs> you haven't, like, stopped and taken a breath to realize, like, you both are going down if this ship mm-hmm. goes down. Right? Like, they're just... He was just pure rage in that moment. And I think it was yeah. a really... Uh, like interesting character moment for sure for sure we also get to see a lot of obi-wan snark he has some great great sarcasm early in this episode. even even when he's like on his knees <laughs> and sometimes literally in front of the enemy he just never gives up 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I've I've said it before. There's never an inopportune time for sarcasm for Obi Wan. <laughs> I think that's very very true. Now, now, as you said, he gets pretty beaten up, and there's he spends a lot of time as a slave. He also though spends a lot of time where he it looks like he's losing a fight with his with the, one of the Zagrushans. Yeah, and I I wrote in my notes he's a Jedi. How is he losing this fight? I I think we're supposed to figure out by the end is that. He's basically just stalling for time while Anakin is like freeing the slaves. Is that was that my reading it or was he actually losing that fight? No, that that's what I was just talking about. It's not while yeah. they're freeing the slaves. It's while they're like defusing the bomb because he says a couple times throughout the battle, like "Hurry up, Anakin!" Right, to right. Himself, which is a, a weird thing to do, but helpful for us as the audience. Uh huh. Because yeah, yeah, I mean, and it's also like a weaponless battle, and I think. At the beginning, there seems to be an agreement that like he's not going to use any sort of force powers against this guy as well. It's just going to be sort of mono a mono, right, fist to fist. But yeah, he's he, he's getting beaten up real bad. Obi Wan's right. face for the mo- most of these episodes <laughs> is just black and blue. It's well, yeah. and so contra- contrast that with what happens later because I do think. In some ways, there's something kind of brilliant about it. I mean, it's, it's horrific and evil, but, you know, if the Jedi have a weakness, at least according to the Sith and them, it's their compassion. And this mm-hmm. idea that you can torture a Jedi, they won't care because they can resist pain, but also they just they won't ever give in. You can threaten a Jedi with death. They're willing to die for their cause. But if you, like, there's a moment where Obi-Wan, like, back talks because he's Obi-Wan, he's sassy. <laughs> and then immediately the, the Togruta who's next to him in the slave mines gets whipped and you can see how much the Tagruda blames Obi-Wan for what happens, and that affects him. And I just thought, like, oof, yeah, what a way to hit the Jedi right in the fields. Yeah, well, even like, right before they take them down into the mines, the guy in charge of the mines, who, like, sits in a floaty chair, um, I don't even know if we get his name ever. He probably has a name. But he, just, like, as a show of power, just, like, drops, like, ten... Uh, of the of the slaves to their death and it's just like so if you misbehave i'm just gonna kill more of them right your move which, which if your business is built on slavery does not yeah. seem like a very effective use of resources but yeah. you know maybe they were like really rebellious he calls it like an education camp that they're at so maybe they just just couldn't be taught mm-hmm. so this is the best use make an example but yeah I was a little disappointed that once again we have um, droids dying for comedy. Uh, yeah. You know, in the midst of this episode, like there, there's the one scene where the the Nagruta slaver, Zagrutan slaver, he has one of those sort of like very com- 1980s computery kind of voice droids who does all the mechanical stuff, and he like slaps a bomb to that guy and he says, you know, how could you betray me? And then he's saying to Obi Wan, "Get it off, get it off," and Obi Wan just like throws him out the window so it blows up. And it's like. Okay, I guess someone has to die for comic relief. I don't want that to happen. I guess it has to. It has to be the droid. But do you really have to keep going back to that well? <laughs> yeah, I saw you put that in the show notes. I didn't think it was, like, a funny scene. Um, I thought it was just, like, a real... Because, yeah, the, the droid is, like, how could you betray me? Right. Um, and I guess maybe it's just, like, the voice alone could be, like, construed as comical. But I didn't think it was, like funny i think it was the the droid was like to to this dart dinar guy like how could mm-hmm. you betray me why would you do this to me get this bomb off of me and yeah i, I think it's that he says to, out the window I, I think that's why maybe comic relief is the wrong word but certainly i mean obi-wan doesn't take seriously his his ask take it off me or that the idea that he has any like that he is a life that should be saved yeah and true. i guess that's more what i meant like we're mm. we're trivializing the that person's suffering yeah, yeah. And I mean, I think it's a good way to show that um, Dinar is evil, right? He's just killing mm-hmm. his friend, this droid, who who is loyal to him. Um, but also, yeah, not make us too sad about a quote-unquote real person blowing up. Right. So but it's also think- the, the, the droid is probably a spy, right? For, For Dooku? Dooku? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there's not really any follow-up to that, but yeah, right. I, I would think that he he would see that droid as disposable I mean, for his we, own yeah. purposes. 
We've seen droids be reprogrammed. But yeah, I don't think there's any sort of like, oh my god, the humanity, the droid got killed. It was just a like, the, the way they did it just kind of rubbed me a bit. That's fair. But let's talk about the Zygrutans, because we certainly learn a lot more about them, like, you know, in terms of their queen and her attitudes, and they have this kind of like tenuous relationship with the, uh, with Dooku and the Separatists, and that they, they have their own wants and desires. Uh, what do you think of how they were portrayed, what we learned about them? Wait, so it's, it's Zygarians. Zygarians, right? thank you. Yeah, they they have a um, very interesting culture and architecture. Like it's mm-hmm. it's clearly like inspired by Egypt, like ancient mm-hmm. Egypt. And I mean, I guess the whole slavery thing as well right. is inspired by ancient Egypt. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't like the queen because mm-hmm. I I don't know what she's doing. I mean, I do know, but I don't like it. Like with her, with her and Anakin, she's trying to manipulate him uh, into submission. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I feel like a show written for ten year olds. The scenes where people flirt with each other are probably never going to be the strongest parts. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Well, it's like suave Anakin comes out of the woodwork when he's pretending to not be Anakin. He right. Has a kind of silly. I wrote in my notes, how come he can be charming to everyone but Padme? Yeah. Um, well, also, where would he learn this? Right. Right? Yeah. Like, he's been a Jedi for his whole adolescence and adult life. And he his one romance is with this girl he's known since he was 10. Yeah. And, you know. I mean, except that... It, I mean, I think Jedi are very good at perceiving other people's emotions. And... It's a very Sith thing, but but still very much a force power thing to be able to use that to manipulate people. And, of course, the queen is super hot. So, I think <laughs> so of course, that makes it okay. Yeah, I, well, uh, she's she seems very into it, or at least into Anakin, right? Because mm-hmm. she's like, oh, you flatter me. Yes, this man gets everything. Um, and then even when he reveals himself to be a Jedi, she's like, mm-hmm. Uh, he's going to be my personal bounty hunter, though. Like, yeah. I know he's passed out because we've Electra whipped him to death, but uh, stick him on my bed in my room. <laughs> yeah, that He'll makes, wake up there. That makes him more attractive to her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When he's revealed he's as a Jedi. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I did like learning more about sort of their culture and especially what they want. We've talked often about how the... Um, We've often talked about how we don't know why the separatists are separatists. And I feel like for these folks, we we get to learn it. And it's that they, you know, it's kind of like the criminal enterprise that was happier when the FBI wasn't sniffing around in their territory. They liked getting to be the slavers and they liked getting to have this like, you know, economic powerhouse built on this horrible thing, but that everyone let them get away with until the, the Jedi and the Republic, you know, prevented it and stopped it. And yeah. I, you know, it's... I mean, he used terminology that's more modern than I don't think was used much today, but it kind of feels like the the modern kind of like crypto libertarian perspective of just like let us all do whatever the hell we want on the internet and like no rules, no no wrong or right. It seems like we're getting more and more that that's who some of the separatists are, that they just want to be like, you know, f- Ferengi capitalists with no – well, actually, no, the Ferengi have tons of rules. But like just, you know, they just want to, you know – do their trading and do their business stuff and build their droids and have their slaves. And they want to separate because they just want no one to tell them what to do. And I mean, certainly a group of people saying we want to separate from the government because the government's can tell us not to own slaves. Like that's straight out of history. So <laughs> I, I yeah. thought that was like a, a nice way of being like, okay, yeah, some of these people have not like honorable causes or not ones we agree with, but ones that, that make sense in terms of that's what they, uh, that's their position. Yeah. Planet's rights. Yeah, I mean, Sarah's going to tune out now, but that is part of the separatist politics, is the Trade Federation and the Banking Clan are using politics to exploit the Outer Rim planets with these unfair treaties or, like, unfair shipping deals. Mm -hmm. And then the Republic is like, no, regulations. Like, no, we don't want your regulations. Yeah, yeah, they just want to be robber baron capitalists, and yeah. so it, it kind of—it's nice to hear that part of the story. And I do think there's one point where one of the Zagarians—I 
I wasn't, I don't think it was the queen, but maybe the, like, prime minister dude is talking to Anakin and basically saying that, well, the Jedi are slaves to the Republic. Oh, yeah. Um, and I one. think, like, he makes a good point. Like, yeah. Um, he's saying, like, they have you doing, like, they're right, they've, they've, they've bent you to their will of this, like, they put you in this position of being generals and of being, um, these, like, political leaders and that's, you know, not what you're supposed to be, but you're basically enslaved to them. And then... Yeah, I I don't know. <laughs> the, even though they're very clearly the bad guys, I don't think their criticisms of the Republic are wrong, necessarily. Mm -hmm. No, I think that's true. I, I mean, I think that's... What we're getting a lot of is people who have legitimate critiques of the Jedi and the Republic. They just want to do terrible things with, mm. with that different perspective. Yeah, I think, like, Dart Dinar, in between punching... Obi-Wan uh, has, like, a nice little speech about how, like, we prospered until the Jedi came along. Like, we prospered. Our clients prospered. The Jedi took mm -hmm. it away from us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. The slaves did not Did prosper. not prosper. Yeah. No. <laughs> That's what I mentioned uh, that part. Yeah. One other just kind of thing backing up a bit, but in terms of Anakin and going towards the dark side, um, mm. he force chokes the queen. I've forgotten oh, yeah. about that part. I just looked at it in my notes again. But, yeah, it's, and it's... I don't think it's ever officially been said, but I think it's it's generally understood that force choking is very much a, for the most part, a Sith power. Like Jedi, um, Luke does it to the kind of pig guards in Return of the Jedi, but for the most part, it's seen as a pretty, you know, ethically questionable power. So having Anakin do that, I think, is very significant. Yeah, it's extreme, but he's like again, so so so, so angry. Um, mm -hmm. So this is when after he wakes up in the Queen's bed. And she's like, you're my pet now. Yeah, he just starts... He doesn't even let her finish her evil speech. He just starts force-choking her, which is... Mm -hmm. I don't know. She seems into it. It's weird. <laughs> oh, oh, dear. <laughs> well, like, she's... Not like that. She's, like, into the show of force and, like, that he's uppity and, and spunky. Right. She's like, ooh, I'm going to enjoy breaking you, basically. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like that... Um. I can't think of a particular movie or TV show, but I feel like I've seen this scene a bunch of times where the, you know, the evil person who like, you know, hunts game or things like that, you know, he has a lion in his cage and he loves to like go near the cage and see the lion roar and like push out at the bars to be like, haha, you're so strong, but I'm still in control. Yeah. They're like the, the Bosks. I know they're not. Mm -hmm. the, 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 yeah. From the hunting the Jedi episode, right? Like, yep. That was exactly. that was the most dangerous game, but not too dangerous. <laughs> not too dangerous. Yeah. Right. Just yeah. the younglings. We're yeah. gonna get baby Jedi, you know. <laughs> We're gonna get baby lions. We're still realistic, yeah. What um, one other just a small point, and it's not the first time we've seen this. So maybe other people have picked up on it earlier, or this is just the first time I really felt it. But we've been seeing more and more that you know each of the Jedi kind of does their own thing. We've really been getting to see that Plo Koon. I mean, he's a pilot, sort of first and foremost as a Jedi, and he leads this fighter squadron called the Wolf Pack. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he's worried about them. He, he has names for them. Like, one of them is Warthog. He takes care of them. And, you know, I've, I've said a couple of times that one thing I like so much about the show is it, it, it fills in the gaps to make things that happen in the prequels hold a lot more weight. And I recently rewatched Revenge of the Sith, and I feel like watching this made me have a lot more feelings about the fact that Plo Koon, you know, he dies in Order 66 because the men in his, the, the pilots in his fighter squadron turn on him. And we can get into all the debate about, like, should that matter? Not, you know, Jedi have the power of the plot. We've talked about that before. But, mm -hmm. you know, in the original movie, I felt nothing because I didn't know Plo Koon was, like, connected to this group. But I feel like now, like, knowing they're the wolf pack, knowing that, you know, he is wolf leader and that he has this connection with them... It feels like they're intentionally setting that up because they know that's how he dies and they just want to give that a little more emotional weight. And I like that. Yeah, for sure. We, so, <laughs> I watched, uh, what's the first one? That's uh, not, Phantom Menace. Phantom Menace this weekend. Uh, and afterwards, Riki asked me, like, did you, so did you enjoy it more having seen the Clone Wars? Uh, and I said, yes, but only because every once in a while I got to go like, well, hey, there's Plo Koon. Yeah. Oh, hey, there's Adam Peele. <laughs> Oh, hey, it's, uh, oh, I'm going to forget her name. Not Ventress. The Bounty Hunter. Orsang. There we go. Got there. Right? Uh, it was <laughs> less 
it, so I guess it did make it a more enjoyable movie in that there were these little call backs, call forwards to the Clone Wars that I got to pick up on. Mm-hmm. But wow, that's a bad movie. Yeah. I mean, it's the same way like if you read a bunch of comic books and stuff and then go back and watch the Jabba the Hutt scenes in Return of the Jedi and you see all of the background characters there that are developed in other media then yeah it's cool to see those characters yeah but it's a phantom menace is still just a garbage <laughs> movie yeah bib yeah. fortuna bib fortuna was in it speaking of java that no yeah. I, I i get that i i think it's much more the the second and especially the third movie that the clone wars really helped to improve but i definitely get that that's fair well the clone wars sort of sits right between those two exactly yeah exactly yeah. Uh, I will. I will say, um, and we'll hopefully get to this in the book club for this podcast. I recently reread the book Darth Plagueis, which is all about the. Um, <laughs> what's up? No, I, I know the plot of that book. I haven't read it, but it's... oh yeah, I mean it gets talked about all the time. But it's the plan. It's about, it's about the yeah the Sith Lord who Darth Sidious talks about, who like taught him about immortal life, and in the book, and I won't try to give any spoilers away, but. Both Plagueis and Sidious meet this Jedi who has a lot of problems with the Republic and a lot of problems with the Jedi and is starting to wonder, like, is there another direction to go? And it's Dooku. And it just kind of reminded me of, like, I still don't like the way Dooku is portrayed in those two movies, but reading about him and I actually now much more understand what his backstory is and his character now makes more much more sense to me. Yeah, we got some good Dooku moments in these episodes as well, mm-hmm. like... For sure. Him talking about how he used to be a Jedi. And we also get some lightning fingers. It's always fun. Yep. Um, well, one thing I thought was interesting was the... Because he comes down very hard on the Zygarians. Am I still saying that wrong? Uh, no, I think Zyg- So it, the queen pronounces it differently than everybody else does. But most of them say Zygarian. Well, the queen also just ha- seemed to have her own accent. accent. <laughs> you know, Jedi. Upper class <laughs> people can do that. But, That's fair, yeah. But yeah, I think it's interesting that... You know, she really thinks the Separatists will be all about letting her go her own way. And Dooku's like, no, 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 no. We're going to have just as much control <laughs> yeah. over you. He's utterly focused on Anakin dying. Mm-hmm. And I think this is, to me, we're getting hints of the complicated Sith relationship here because, you know, Palpatine obviously already has his eye on Anakin as a potential, you know, new apprentice. Mm-hmm. And the rule of two is kind of being broken, but... We also know that, like, you know, to some, we know that uh, Sidious will wind up having Anakin kill Dooku in order to take Dooku's place as his apprentice. So I just thought that was kind of a, another fun part of this was seeing, like, that Dooku is so focused on, like, I want Anakin to die. And I wasn't sure, like, is that because that's what Sidious is telling him to do? Or is that a little bit Dooku feeling like I need to get rid of this rival for my master's attention? It's inconsistent, though. He had Anakin, what, like, the the last arc mm-hmm. where they traded him for Grievous? <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. So but, he could have like, killed him there and been like, no, we don't need Grievous. Yeah, but he was directly told by Palpatine yeah. to trade him, right? So, like, mm-hmm. to kill him there would be directly going against Palpatine, which I feel like would be bad news for Dooku. Whereas right. here, right, like, he's telling the queen, uh, I don't... I don't want to enslave the Jedi. I want to wipe the Jedi out. So we're going to kill some Jedi tonight. Um, and and yeah, like he talks about killing Obi-Wan as well, since he's there. I don't think he even mentions Ahsoka. But yeah, mm-hmm. very fixated on getting rid of Anakin. I think he, I think you're right, Matthew. Like he sees this as his moment. Because right. I think he can see that Palpatine is taking a shining to Anakin. But then is this also kind of our first hint at Order 66? Like, is this the first time they explicitly say, we want to kill the Jedi? And they exterminate them? Maybe. Well, there again, you don't know, is this Dooku saying that's what he wants, or is that what he's saying that he and Sidious want? Mm. Yeah, it's very... Also, so in this moment, this is like, he and the Queen are having this confrontation. He he force chokes and lightning zaps her. Um, Mm -hmm. But it's like the force choke that seems to really knock her down and then well, she she dies yeah so but how so 
right? Dooku force chokes her. She's on the ground. Anakin comes in. She's like, boy toy. Um, and then like passes out. Well, look, it is Things a well understood to... medical reality that there's a particular <laughs> kind of fatal wound mm-hmm. of which you are on death's door, but will not die until you get to have the Marius Eponine moment of being in the arms of the person who mm-hmm. you either love or respect or is your father or whatever it is, getting to say the one last thing you need to say and then dying. Sure. It's a no medical And then her, guard, her guards come in. And Dooku says, the Jedi assassinated the queen. Except she's, <laughs> she's not, not dead, dead yet. yet. Mm-hmm. Anakin, like, picks her up and leaves. And she dies later on their starship. Yeah, so, like, she hangs in there for quite a bit. But, like, the, the thing that seems to have mortally wounded her is being choked. And she manages to breathe a bunch more, say some words. So, like, how... I, I just... I don't think that's how choking works. Like, if she'd been stabbed, <laughs> then it's like, all right. And then she bled out after she got to give her speech. Cool. But she was just choked. She was breathing and everything. She might have some, like, discomfortable... Look, this is a world of laser swords. We don't need to get into medical details. Fine. Um, I I, I do love that once again, we have an episode that started out with the two of you saying how much you like these arcs and then all the problems with them. (laughs) No, I don't like this one. As okay, much. that's fair. That's fair. We'll get that's to the other one in a moment. I wanted three episodes of Mandalorian and one of the slavers. Yeah. I feel yeah, like, I, I don't know. This was my one. It's a it's a really little thing, and I doubt I'll care about it tomorrow. But it yeah. bugged me in the moment. No, that's fair. That's, I mean, this, this. I think we're very honest about the fact that this is a great show that has a lot of good moments and a lot of stinkers. <laughs> um, and I, I think I'm with you. I. We'll talk about the next episode in a moment. I definitely wanted a lot more of it. I think two and two would have been good, or maybe two and three. I don't know if we needed a full three of this one. Speaking one, of good moments. Okay, when, I, if you're about to quote, I was going to say one of my favorite moments. Let's see if you have the same one. Go ahead. When, when Obi-Wan, they bring Obi-Wan out as a slave. He's been captured. And then Anakin is still playing at being a slaver. And she's like, go down and, and kill the Jedi. And he goes down there and he does the signal to R2-D2. Yeah. The salute. That Luke does on Java's skiff well, in Return they, of the Jedi. And they all, like, nod at each yeah, other. Yeah, they all look yeah. at each other. Like, Rex is there, too, in disguise. A disguise similar to Lando. Mm-hmm. And they give, like, they give each other the look, like, it's about to go down. And so, like, did R2 come up with the plan in, in, in Java's palace? And he's like, hey, Luke, like, here's, here's this thing we can do. I, I have these compartments that can hold lightsabers, and I'll shoot it out to you. Don't worry, I've done this before. Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, it is. I think one of the biggest plot holes in the in the whole story is how much R two knows but doesn't say. Like, I yeah. I was rewatching A New Hope recently, and like watching the scene where um, Obi Wan is talking to Luke about what <laughs> happened to Anakin, and just kind of I wanted like I really wanted Obi. Uh, I really <laughs> wanted <laughs> R two peeping in the corner, being like, "No, that's not true, you liar." <laughs> Well, even at the very beginning, I guess, like, all Obi-Wan says is, like, I don't recall ever owning a droid. He doesn't say, I don't know who this droid is. Yeah. but And it's so weird because they could have solved it with a line of dialogue that it seems like they intentionally did not put in at the end of Revenge of the Sith when Bail Organa tells them to wipe the protocol droid's memory. Yeah, they could have wiped both. But, but that's the best anyway. thing about R2 is that he knows everything <laughs> he the whole time. Yeah. Like, wipe both their memories. I mean, it does allow him to do the sassiest, most, like, underhanded move of the entire Star Wars, like, genre. Which is where, in Last Jedi, Luke is explaining why he can't go help. And R2 just shows the clip of Leia asking for his help. And I was just like, oh, that's so good. Um, But no, the, the one little moment I wanted to mention was to, to get in at, and go undercover... They pretend originally that Anakin is a slaver himself and that he's ca- or a bounty hunter and that he's captured Ahsoka and is selling her as a slave. And there's just like the two of them are trying to play this out and they both overact it so badly. <laughs> oh my and God, she yeah. says like he harasses her a bit and she says, unhand me, you brigand. And, it's just, <laughs> and then later he flirts with the queen and she's rolling her eyes. Oh, it's yeah. just so beautiful. I just love that little interaction. Oh yeah, I it's was. It's so I bad. Ahsoka knows. Yeah, <laughs> that's how knows. bad he is at this. It, well, so not bad. bad. It's just cheesy, right? Because yeah. he's like, "Oh, your beauty is unmatched by by anything in the whole universe," and she's just like, "Oh, brother." <laughs> it's, it's yeah, it's great. I love it. Look, the lines he gives her are still better than what he gives to Padme. Okay, so yeah. you know, 
A hundred percent. And he like whispers some stuff in her ear and she's like, oh, you're so bold. Okay, now wait a minute. The Zygerian planet, like being Egyptian, there's a lot of sand. Oh, no, no, no. All right, I moving on to episode 14. Moving on to episode 14. So. <laughs> a friend in need. A peace conference between separatists and republic delegates. Oh, you know what? Actually, no. I'm sorry. I do want to go back for a second. Okay. Um, one other plot point that they briefly introduced that I, I liked but I wish they did more of was we once again see a planet that is wanting to be at peace. And, and the separatists are going to come in and, and kind of screw with them, clearly. But Yoda says... You shouldn't trust them. I'm sending an army. Like, it's yeah. once again this the Republic say, deciding who needs to be helped, even if they say they don't want to be helped. Oh, and, then, and at the end, they yeah. do join the Republic. It's like, well, I guess if the choice is between being slaves right. and joining the Republic, we'll join the Republic. Yeah. But even there, he's still sad. He he talks about how he's sad at what his people have lost. And I oh yeah. What it's I, also I, like there's a third option. You could just go back to being neutral. Like right. I mean, I, I realize that the Republic probably wouldn't let them take that option. But it's like, yeah. come yeah. on. Yeah, I I like that moment. I wished we'd had more of Ahsoka and her own people because you don't mm-hmm. get that often. But I did like that. But so anyway, a friend in need. A peace conference between separatists and republic delegates is interrupted by Lux Bantari, the son of the late separatist senator Mina Bantari, from Heroes on Both Sides. Soon after, he involves Ahsoka in his dangerous search to find justice for his mother's death, which subsequently leads to Ahsoka crossing paths with Pre Vizsla and the Death Watch. And for those of us who uh, don't remember or haven't seen those earlier episodes, Death Watch has been established as, at this point in the story, the Mandalorians, uh, the planet of Mandalore is a peaceful planet ruled by this woman named Duchess Satine, who Obi-Wan has a whole long history with. And um, a group of Mandalorians have broken off and are called Death Watch. And are really they're, they're a terrorist group basically fighting to retake the planet and rebuild the warrior community. And while we don't know all the details yet, um, flashing forward a whole bunch to the TV show The Mandalorian... We learned that our hero there, Din, he was raised by a group of people called, the, I think it was the Children of the Watch, or... I Which is exactly. a better name. Yeah. Well, right, but it's obviously, it's connected in some way to the same thing that Death Watch is connected to. So that's yeah. just kind of a, a cool tie-in, but... Don't don't name so, your organization Death Watch. You know... Because later, later on, Lux, Lux is very surprised when they, you know, kill <laughs> uh-huh. people. It's like, Wait. what are you doing? Yeah. Not very good for <laughs> PR, but... But yeah, so so Ahsoka kind of tags along and then is like unhappy about this and then everything goes wrong, but they are, are able to get rescued. So yeah, uh, clearly uh, sounds like you all like this episode a lot. What would you like about it? Yeah, well, so first the episode opens up and they're in like Duchess Satine's chambers and there's three representatives from the Republicans and three from the Separatists and they're like having a little chit chat. Um, and Ahsoka is just there. Like, yeah. Because Satine yes. said, "Make sure." I that was I was gonna say. Okay, you can say it. It's fine. No, you say it. Okay, so our head recognized head canon is that like Satine called up her gal pal Padme and was like, mm, "Hey Padme, you should really bring like a Jedi with you." So like maybe someone who's been here before. You should bring just bring a Jedi along. And Padme's like, "Yeah, yeah." <laughs> and she's like, "You know what I'm? You know what I mean, right? You know what I'm saying?" She's like, "Yeah, yeah, hundred percent." And then shows up with Ahsoka, and Satine's like, "No." Yeah, and she's sitting on that throne, like, not having it. You think it's because of the negotiations failing, but it's because Obi-Wan didn't show up. Yeah, she's like, Padme, you had one job. Um, But yeah, and then, like, Lux burst into the room and was like, hello, I'm Ahsoka's previous love interest. And then... Yeah, so this was... Mina Bonteri, his, his mother, was a senator who was a mentor to Padme. And in the previous episode, they had... Padme and Mina had met up to try to negotiate peace, right. and that was interrupted by uh, she was assassinated yeah. by Dooku's people. But they made it look like the Republic did it, and at the same time, they also set up an explosion at a power plant on Coruscant and made well that was carried out by droids. Right. So they they sabotaged the peace negotiations by having these terrorist attacks on both sides. Yeah, and I think. This is why I got confused that the Mandalore was part of the Separatists. I think it was confusing it with Mina. Mm-hmm. I thought, for some reason, I thought she was a Mandalorian. Right. But she's not. 
Um, well, I think it's very intentional that Mandalore is like the neutral space for this to take place because mm-hmm. both sides are really trying hard to and. You know, I, I think part of why I love Mandalore is, to me, Mandalore is very much a Vietnam kind of a place. You know, it's a place where there are two sides who are fighting over what they want for their people. And they each have legitimate grievances and they each have legitimate perspectives, but then they're both being kind of manipulated by these larger forces. And Mandalore is mostly state independent of that, but but clearly, like, they're, they're each being influenced to some extent. Although Death Watch just seems to be, like, we want to hate everybody. Screw the Republic, screw the Separatists. We just want our own freedom. Yeah, they're... <laughs> Like they they have a very singular focus, right? Which is just return, make Mandalore great again. Yeah, right? like <laughs> bring it bring it back to their old bounty hunter warrior ways. None of this namby pamby peace and, and love stuff. And they certainly go to great lengths to show us just how terrible the Death Watch is. Um, well, we get just... a couple of scenes of Death Watch kind of like torturing people, especially droids. Like they they do not, and I guess it kind of fits in with what we learn later about the Mandalorian, but. They're basically just like they're killing droids for, or they're destroying droids for entertainment and then making them be rebuilt. And we meet a couple of very sympathetic droids. I think at one point um, there's this like big lumbering droid and they shoot the legs out and the droid just goes, why, why, mm. why? And this sort of sad, yeah. plaintive voice. And then he asks R2 to repair him. So sad. Mm-hmm. And there's a little trash can droid too. Yeah, I think it's, it's especially pre-Vizsla that we see being just like... The king of the jerks. Mm-hmm. Um, Played once again by John Favreau. Yeah, which yes. is awesome. Um, but there's so there's a some girls from a nearby village that they've kidnapped and are forcing into servitude. So that's cool and awesome. Uh, and they talk about how they're like a very docile people, and then Death Watch just came and were jerks. Uh, mm-hmm. And so someone from the village comes to negotiate to get the girls back and he's like oh yeah sure sorry i'll bring them back to you tomorrow morning it's like well that went well and lux is you know like yeah see death watch they're the good guys <laughs> death <laughs> watch ain't so bad yeah um, they're just misunderstood yeah, the name is metaphorical yeah it's a metaphorical death watch they're just looking they're at watching it. for death yes yeah. oh geez so then the morning happens they go they they bring the, the girls back he like ah here's your granddaughter and then ends up like shoving her and taking out the glorious dark saber just like stabbing the girl in her in the back in while she's like hugging her grandpa right and it's like ha 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 kill them all and then lux is like wait a minute you said you were the good guys uh yeah so i guess the reason lux has gone and sought out death watch just to back up he Got like a hologram message from Dooku and has this special bracelet that tracks holograms to where they're like originating from. Yeah, techno babble. Mm-hmm. Techno babble. He's got a MacGuffin, uh, and so he's he's bringing it to Death Watch so that they can go find Dooku. Right, because Dooku is the one who killed his mother, and so he really is on this revenge kick for that reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, and ah- ah- Ahsoka tags along for the ride. Wasn't supposed to, but was there basically yeah and then the the mandalorian who shows up is like what's she doing here who's she i'm i'm his betrothed <laughs> oh god yeah and she learned from anakin the bad acting <laughs> well, and here i think i agree with you that i i love this episode i think it's one of my favorites but i wanted to i feel like we could have had a whole episode on what actually is happening in that separatist republic negotiations. We could have had at least half an episode or more of R2, because R2 basically winds up like fixing these droids, but also like helping them. And then they, he turns into like a little droid army that helps rescue everything that could have gotten a lot more attention. Um, And what I felt was a subtext here. And it's so obvious that I, I have to imagine it's intentional, but it never really got to be dealt with is Ahsoka now has another man she cares about going off the deep end because of the death of his mother. Mm. I don't think that's intent. I don't think that's accidental. You know, I think there's a great connection there of her because she obviously has feelings for this boy. Oh, yeah. Um, And, you know, it's nice they play it because they're both kind of like just barely pubescent. Like, it's just kind of like, you know, puppy love crush that she's and she never even talks about those words that they kiss, quote unquote, because it's a 
you know, the bad guys are coming. Let's pretend that we're kissing. Um, it's a bad kiss, too. Yeah, but yeah. it's like, it's, it's so very, yeah, like you said, like preteen, teen right. like, thing, right? Where it's like, oh, we have to, oh, no, we have to pretend that we're boyfriend and girlfriend. Let's pretend kiss so that nobody gets suspicious of us. Oh, yeah. Right? I mean, like, it's like I, a very cutesy. I love a high school rom com. I would <laughs> love, oh, my God. There's a whole other show I want them to do sometime about Jedi Academy rom com. Um, what? No. <laughs> I love here. that so much. You get well, but the Jedi can have attachments. All the great tropes. But but anyway, the point here is, I, I think it has to be intentional, right? I mean, that's it would be great for them. They don't. They barely touch on it. But the whole time I'm watching Ahsoka, like, have sympathy for this kid and what he wants to do, but also be like, you're, you're letting your anger about this make you do stupid things. It's clear that to me, at least, that she's thinking about someone else who does the same thing. Yeah, she likes a bad boy. Mm-hmm. and But, I mean, it's also clear that she's, like, like Obi-Wan and like Anakin, is developing romantic feelings for for someone else. Yeah, which you is can't do that. Which is I know now. Yeah. I mean, what, I'm currently reading the, the High Republic books, which are also very good. And one thing they're kind of making clear is that Jedi have never been very good at being celibate. Like, <laughs> they either are breaking the rules from time to time or they're just constantly longing um there's one in one part in the book it talks about how these two jedi have always had very strong feelings for each other because they grew up as padawans together and it using very kind of like ya chaste fade to black language it never quite says what it means but it basically says like that the two of them became adults and had to put away the memory of the explorations that padawans are allowed but are eventually have to have to stop doing and it's like i don't know if that means that like they play doctor or like they were like hooking up i have no idea but like clearly there's some level of like they're allowing people to have some like low level like sexual exploration or romantic exploration before being like okay nope now you got to see how good that is now you got to stop doing that for the rest of your life it's like a rum springer yeah exactly um yeah, so actually, I thought that was kind of cool, and I, I, I like the dynamic between those two characters. But again, I think all of this could have had so much more exploration. Yeah, I really, I mean, we do get more, a lot more from like Death Watch and the Mandalorians. Um, so like, it's it's coming down the pipe. But yeah, having mm-hmm. this be a two-parter, I would have, I would have watched R two D 2s Droid Revolution. Yeah, hundred percent. And Ricky, I'm really glad that you brought up the character of. Uh, that Bo-Katan is introduced here because knowing what I, you know, I haven't seen this for many years and knowing what I do now that Bo-Katan becomes one of our heroes by the time the TV show The Mandalorian, I kept expecting, okay, so we're going to get introduced to her as the Death Watch person who's not quite so bad or who's kind of like, yeah, maybe we don't have to like kill all these people and torture all these droids. Nope. <laughs> we, we don't ever see her like actively participating in the worst parts, but she's certainly never like saying like, no, we shouldn't do that. She's just henchman number one at this point oh yeah she's pre Visla's right hand man and mm-hmm. i don't know do you want to do spoilers or no let's hold off on that we know some okay. stuff is gonna happen and we'll, we'll get to that when we get to it yeah we also get bo and ahsoka's first meeting which you know now that they're buddies in the mandalorian they can so fondly recall that time that they almost killed each other in the snow mm-hmm. good times Right hand Mandalorian. Right hand Mandalorian. Wow. All right. I think this is probably a good time to wrap up and go into one piece of listener feedback that we got. Um, Do you have anything more you want to say? Um, No. No. Okay. Uh, Well, this is one we got a couple of weeks ago, but we didn't really have a chance to work it in yet. It's not directly connected to this, but it's all about uh, Star Wars Universe stuff, so I want to read it. Uh, It's from a listener who had actually written in a long time ago, and then we read his uh, comment on the air, but as you hear, there's a reason why he didn't hear it for a while. Uh, it's from Marlon Gonsalves, and he writes, Season's greetings, because he wrote this around Christmas. I finally heard my feedback discussed at the beginning of the movie's Attack of the Clones podcast. I guess that's why I never heard it until now, because I tried avoiding all prequel material. Can't, uh, can't blame you. Um, and he says that he agrees with us that you don't need to commit to memory every detail of the Star Wars universe. Uh, he doesn't have it. They say that they don't have everything committed to memory either, and they still love the whole universe, which is just, you know, a nice reminder. There's some podcasts out there that are all about knowing every bit of details. That's awesome. I'm glad they're there. That's not us. We have Wikipedia. We'll look stuff up. We're going to go for the the heart of the story, not always the details. 
And then he just says about season two cover, uh, season two of The Mandalorian, I loved your coverage of that season. It once again perfectly complements the show. Thanks for the brilliant content. Enjoy the holidays. And so thank you again very much. But the key point and relevant to what we were just talking about is he included a, uh, uh, a letter that was sent around as a meme that I want to read to, to everyone because I, I think it's a nice way to close this out. Again, though, this is much more about the, the Mandalorian, but Jedi Academy stuff. And so it's written on the uh, letterhead of the Jedi Academy, and it says, Dear Din Djarin, I hope this finds you well. The reason for this letter is that after just four months under my tutelage, I can no longer take care of Grogu and request that you come back and pick him up. <laughs> Grogu is a menace. My R2 droid has blown a circuit because he keeps hitting him with a stick, like Yoda. He keeps stealing the metal balls off the computers to play with. He takes, cook- he takes biscuits without asking. Last week, he force-lifted a student onto the roof of the temple. It took six hours to get him down. Also, who taught him a curse word? Just recently, he rewired the whole academy. How he learned to rewire blue and red wires in that fashion, I dread to think. Then, to add insult to injury, we found him trying to eat the academy's frog mascot as well as unhatched eggs. I will supply a booklet to let you teach him yourself, because I don't think we can any longer. Our science teacher is on six volume a day. May the force be with you. <laughs> so. Yay, Grogu. Thank, yeah, thank you so much for sending that in. Uh, I love that image. Like I said, I want I want the junior high rom-com about the Jedi Academy. Give, give me, go- or high school, give me Gossip Girl Jedi. It's a thing. Oh my gosh, uh, I just like Grogu acting out as like a, not like adolescent. Right? Yeah, that'd be great. Because we have especially, baby Yoda. We need adolescent Yoda. Especially because now, I mean, we... Oh no, here's what we need. We need a Lego movie because a Lego movie is oh, clearly yeah. totally okay with crossing all these universes in which our two protagonist, antagonist, anti-heroes who are just driving everyone crazy but still kind of cute are Teenage Grogu and Teenage Groot. <gasps> yes. Right? I was just I was just thinking like crumpy Groot mm. at the end of Guardians 2 where Chris mm-hmm. Pratt is telling him to clean his room. He's like, yep. I'm Groot. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we need. Kidding. Anyway. I think we've now starting to we haven't jumped the shark but we're approaching it quickly so we're going to call an end to it now. Ricky and Sarah, thank you all so much. To everyone else, really glad you're a fan of this. Let us know what you think. You can find all the ways to contact us on ethicalpanda.com. We're there on Twitter, on Facebook, on email. Let us know what you think. Join in the conversation. You can also find us by going to strandedpanda.com and that's where you'll find my other podcasts as well as other great podcasts about the MCU, Star Trek, DC Universe, all sorts of other great things. So, on behalf of myself, Ricky, Sarah, thank you all so much. Have a great day. I hate sand. <laughs>